Hi, my name is Ian. Hi, my name's Olivia. And you're listening to The Long Exposure, a podcast where we talk about movies and genres of movies and stuff that we think is cool or we hate. It's all about fucking movies. Movies, talking yeah. about movie themes. We talk about them. Yes, I suck at this. Whatever. Us talking about movies even though no one asked us to. Yay! All right, so every so often you run across something in your watching of films where you're just like, Oh man, this movie's this movie's awesome. I can't look away. It's so rad. And then you go on and you like look at critical discourse about this movie and it's just a trash fire. <laughs> like it's it's a movie that just like is not only sucks according to like critics, but like they will joke about how much it sucks. It becomes like a meme. And it it, it tears your heart in half because you you love the thing. You love the thing, but you know the thing is stupid. So this is an episode about Movies we shouldn't love, but do. I think everyone, and I'm not even talking about like a guilty pleasure here, because a guilty pleasure is a thing that you're afraid to admit that you, like it's a bad thing, or it's a thing that you feel you should not like for whatever reason, but you like it anyway. This is a thing where it's like, oh, this movie is terrible, but I will tell anyone who will listen to me about how much I love it. Like, this movie is just objectively a fucking train wreck. Yet I love it, and I feel no shame. I've heard it said a long time ago that um, a good critic can give a bad review to something they like and a good review to something they hate. Agreed. And so we're looking at things where, like, our our taste makes these things worthwhile to us, but, like, critically, holy shit. It's funny, because, like, we all, as we all know, that the critics don't always get it right. There are films that are generally acknowledged to be amazing works of cinema that critics were like, eh, this movie's all right, or meh, I don't really care for this, or I don't get this, or whatever, and it takes, you know, it takes a while for the movie to kind of sink in and for people to make sense of it. I feel like the movies we're talking about now were then and are now a bit maybe confusing. I feel, maybe you, you, you so more than me, because you're going to be talking about a movie that has actual kind of cinematic you know chops and i'm talking about like a really fucking stupid action movie <laughs> so we're, we're doing a couple things different this time we usually never discuss what movies that we're, we're doing beforehand but yeah. we just couldn't we couldn't help ourselves the other thing is that i usually bring a fucking book report in to do this podcast yeah, you're way more organized than me i, I just... bring in like pages of hand type notes because i'm an insane person and I'm not doing that. I'm just shooting from the fucking hip. Yeah, I I, I just riff. You know, I, I think, you know, we've only released two episodes of this so far, but I feel like it's apparent the difference in our sort of film discussion techniques where I'm really, I'm, I'm way more scattershot with it and I kind of just speak... I let the spirits guide me and, like, you know, <laughs> say whatever comes to mind. I also think, like, you do have more of, like, a trained knowledge of film that allows you to do this, whereas, like, I'm doing I'm doing hard research because, like, I don't really come from, like, a scholarly film background. I mean, I, I don't really... I, I took some film classes in college, everybody. I do not have a degree in film. <laughs> she knows more about directors than I could ever, like, and recognizes people that I don't fucking recognize. Aw. And... Thank you, honey. Aw. So... Who started last time? I, I think you did. Okay, so this is this is so you're leading into this one. I guess I am. Okay, so uh funny story. The reason okay, I'm gonna start from the beginning, kind of. 
So you, your move, I will not reveal the uh, name of your film yet. I'm going to keep that a secret for now. But um, you were telling me that you just had a random urge to rewatch your stupid movie. And you were, you were just saying like, this movie is such a mess, but I just can't help but love it. It's just, there's so much to love. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like nodding. I'm like, I get that. I have movies I feel that way about. And then that sort of became the, well, why don't we talk about that? That could be a, that could be a podcast episode. And I got to thinking, what movie would I choose? Like, here's a movie that's objectively not that great, but I, I just adore it. I love watching it for some insane reason, but I also don't feel bad about it. It's not like a guilty pleasure type of thing. Would you say it has a particular appeal? A particular set of appeals? I don't know what you, what are are you getting at? (laughs) You got a look on your face like you're like you're like you're hitting like you want me to say something. I'm trying to make puns, but I'm not funny. So fucking you ahead. are funny. Stop that. I can I can see your face. Hack it a fraud. <laughs> not true. Anyway, so I got to thinking, what movies do I feel this way about? Because. And nothing immediately sprang to mind. And then one day, almost as if it were the work of fate, I. For those who, you know, don't know me, which should be like most humans, don't know who the fuck I am. Um, I work for a coffee company. <laughs> I won't name it. Um, but one, a couple earlier this month, one of our roasters was down. And so like there were a couple of weeks where at work, we were kind of doing a whole bunch of nothing. And I went into the logistics office at my work just to, I don't even remember why I went in there. I honestly don't. I think I went to to look for somebody or some shit, and <laughs> the, the people in the logistics office again were not doing jack shit because there was we had a broken roaster and there was no coffee, so there was nothing for anybody to do, <laughs> and they just um, were sitting in their office and they have have a TV in there and they just popped this movie on, and I just sat on my butt in the logistics office and watched this entire movie start to finish. And I haven't watched this movie in years. I guess I should just say what it is. It's, it's a, my movie, dumb, you know, drum roll. Okay. My movie is taken the 2008 action thriller starring Liam Neeson. This is the film that is so goddamn stupid. It blows my mind and I fuck, I, I love it. I love this movie so much and I hadn't watched it in a few years. I don't think I'd watched it since like high school. Hey, if you can kill your way through a fan, through a franchise, you don't need intellect. You exactly. Don't... Like, cause I don't, I don't like dumb action movies. Like you wouldn't, I'd rather be waterboarded than watch a Transformers movie. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't catch me dead watching anything of that caliber, like, and I, I don't, I'm not in, I don't go in for comic book movies. I don't, I don't go, I don't go in for that type of thing. The, the old, the old punch em ups. And I'm not trying to be like a snob right now. It's like, oh, you know, I'm better than these lowly, stupid action movies. Like, I love freaking Die Hard. Like, I will watch. I love Die Hard. I love. Christ, Terminator, give me all the Terminator movies. Give me all, give me the fucking alien sequels. Like, I like. Give me, I, give me a fucking. Give me any of the first blood parts. Yeah, like, like I'm I'm not dissing action movies, but there's a specific caliber of action movie that I do not fuck with, and I don't think I need to. Ex- I don't think I need to delve too deeply into why or what I mean by that. I feel like most sensible people know what I'm talking about. Taken has something. There is some magic about this movie that sort of breaks through my my wall. 
my anti-dumb action movie wall. And it it just is such an enchanting film that I, I, I again, I sat in the office at my work in just a, an office chair and watched this movie that I had not seen in probably about a decade. It smashed years of anti-himbo defenses is what you're trying to get Yeah, but <laughs> pretty much. And I sort of was, because I remember watching the movie the first time when it came out, and I was like, this movie's dumb. <laughs> like, this movie's stupid. But, like, you know, it became, like, a, cult- it's a cultural phenomenon, because it's like, bro, it's Taken, it's Liam Neeson, he's kicking butt, he's taking names, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, because, I like, you know, when I was a teenager, I was such a movie snob that I couldn't even let myself enjoy a dumb movie, I'm like, no, this is stupid, I don't care, I, I want to go, I'm going to go watch, like, Tarantino movies, because, you know, that's just... Because that's so fucking serious. Right, exactly, <laughs> like, you know, Tarantino's just, listen, I'm not dissing Tarantino, fucking love you, dude, but, you know, he, he makes, his movies can be kind of stupid sometimes, too, okay? He doesn't take himself too seriously, but I digress. So, watching Taken again as a, a 30-year-old, <laughs> I'm old, um, re- reawakened this dormant love I had for this movie... <laughs> And I think the thing about it is it was sort of like this perfect, it was the thing where had it been any other actor, had it been any other, had it come out at any other moment in time, this movie would have been just like, nobody would have given a fuck. It would have just been like this pop oiler. So go ahead. Riddle me this. How old was Liam Neeson when he starred in Taken? I think he was probably in his, at least in his 60s. Let me, I'm going to consult the internet on this. Like, that's the thing that's wild to me, is that usually, like, action movie stars tend to skew younger-ish. Like, yeah, you know, Stallone was in his mid-30s when he did First Blood Part 1. Like, you know... Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme were, like, relatively around that age when they sort of came up. Like, it's... You generally are, like, not, like, a spring chicken, but, like, you're young enough to be marketable, but you're old enough to have, like, discipline in some sort of, like, fighting form where you don't have to, like, spend a lot of time being choreographed. Yeah. Okay, so I just consulted the internet. Uh, Liam Neeson was 56 when this movie was released, so he was probably a few years younger than that when it was filmed. Um... Which is still, like, that's that's unprecedented. Yeah. But I... I think the thing about it was I grew up watching Liam Neeson as, you know, to me, in my brain, he's, like, he's Oscar Schindler. He's, like, this very stoic, like, serious actor. Like, he's a real actor, you know what I mean? Like, he is sort of, like, not to be fucked with. He's Liam Neeson. It's really funny that, like, five years after being Oscar Schindler, he took on the role of Qui-Gon Jinn. Right! Yeah, because I, listen, I don't, you know, come at me, nerds, but I don't really like Star Wars, so I kind of didn't, like, see him as Qui-Gon Jinn. Like, to me, he was, like, he's Oscar Schindler. Like, that's, that's who he is to me. So, this, like, brainless action movie the fact that they chose him was like the smartest thing they could have possibly done i don't know if that was a stroke of genius or it was just dumb luck like maybe liam neeson just kind of wasn't doing anything else and they're like hey you know let's i don't know if they knew what taken would become like i don't think i don't think there's a lot of action movie stars that you could like reasonably convince me are 
concerned parents that would try yeah. to get their kids back. Vin Diesel can't be that guy. Yeah. Steven Seagal is more likely to, like, be the child abductor than, like... And he's, like, a, he's just a bloated frogman. Like, he's just, a, he's just a sad shell of what he once was. He's also an awful person. Yep. But we don't need to get into that. But I, I mean, like... Here's my, my dark horse. My, my... I would go from, like, liking Taken to loving Taken if you replaced... Liam Neeson with like Mickey Rourke <laughs> but like Mickey Rourke is too like battle scarred like yeah, he it, has to be like the be terrifying he can't be, be okay so he can't be suave like, okay so so <laughs> Taken is great because it's like Liam Neeson is like this ex secret agent spy badass but now he's retired and he's just a regular ass dude and he like barbecues at his house with his old buddies who also used to be spies and shit. But now they're just regular ass people. He has a teenage daughter. He's married to Famke Jansen, which or his ex-wife is Famke Jansen, who, by the way, <laughs> I need to laugh at this. The way they wrote her character is so it's like awful in a great way. All she does in this movie is be bitchy to Liam Neeson. She doesn't do, I'm not even joking. It's like if you've ever watched Taken, all she is, her entire character is be mean to him for so, no reason, for no fucking reason. Just be a total see you next Tuesday to your ex-husband like in front of your daughter. Honestly, this is pretty progressive as far as like, female supporting roles in action movies go, usually you're just a fucking tombstone for the hero to, like, scream at in the rain. Yeah, like, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, she's... But it's just so funny, like, she's... Like, she was written by a... Like, that, the whoever wrote the screenplay for this movie, like, I think has some, like, stuff to work through in therapy because he clearly has, like, an ex-wife that he has a problem with because that's the only reason I could think to write her character in the most one-dimensional angry mean ex-wife way it's just it's funny to watch it's like god she's so mean and she is just scowling through this whole movie it's like what is going on with it's the screenplay for this movie is insane and hilarious and so great it's bad but it's amazing but like back to my previous point was like liam neeson can be both characters and you actually you kind of believe it like with again take jason statham and like i'm just a regular regular suburban dad like jason statham no you are not jason statham you're fucking jason statham like you can't be you can be the kick butt action guy you can't be regular regular dad grilling on the barbecue with your buddies and drinking beer guy. So the secret to the success of this film is you need a great value, a Kirkland brand James Bond in that role. But like... No kind of offense to Neeson, but like somebody who can sort of swim in the suave camp and the kill everything camp. It's like, but they almost didn't write him to be super suave. They wrote him to be like... Because, okay... The reason I actually like this movie is because Liam Neeson's... Liam Neeson is an amazing actor, and he actually fleshes this character out as much as he possibly can with, again, the terrible writing that... <laughs> the just bare-bones, like... it's so, The writing is so simplistic that it's 
almost kind of like a... It, you, the, the people who made this film had a particular set of skills and none of them were writing. Yeah, but it's not like, okay, you think bad writing. I'm not talking Tommy Wiseau bad writing. I'm talking like everyone is speaking what's on their mind. No one like... There's no subtext to anyone's dialogue. It's just like, it's right there. You, all the information is delivered to you in the lines that the characters say. There's no, there's no subtlety anywhere. How will they know my character is in, is sad unless I tell them explicitly that I am sad? Yeah, like, again, Femke Jansen and this insane part they gave her is just like, they're like at a diner and, okay, the daughter, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, like, describe the plot of Taken, but I will kind of describe the plot of Taken. But the daughter gets kidnapped into sex trafficking because she wants to go to... Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I keep going on tangents. You're, 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 you're fired up. You're fired up. It's what, <laughs> I have to... La I'm sorry. The daughter, the, a 17-year-old girl, <laughs> wants to go to Paris, right? So it's like, okay, nothing unusual there. And Liam Neeson is worried because it's like, I don't... My daughter is traveling alone. Like, I'm concerned for her safety. Good dad. Good father. Should, should be concerned for her and is he's hesitant to let her go. But he, he, again, mean, evil ex-wife Famke Jansen <laughs> makes him, like, basically blackmails him into, into, you know, it's like, if you don't, like, let our daughter go to Paris or else. And it turns out that her and her friend want to travel all over. They don't actually want to go to Paris. That's like the cover story. They want to travel all over Europe to follow freaking you too. That, they want to follow the U2 tour. That does not track at all. Again, this movie is insane. This movie is so bonkers. That you, you know what really gets the, the, the young teenage millennials uh, rocks off? It really gets them going. Bono. Bono. <laughs> Fucking Bono. Really like, oh, yes. They're going to give up their whole summer to, to chase freaking you two around Europe like I forgot that that was like a major plot point in the movie and I like practically fell out of my chair just cracking up laughing it's like they're the big reveal is that she's not going to Paris to like chill and go to the Louvre and shit she wants to she, she wants to see like a an old an old man with a colonialist fucking <laughs> masquerade nonprofit yeah. sing Sunday bloody bloody Sunday oh my god it's like the people the people who wrote this movie it's just like yeah it's 2008 and that's what the kids like they like freaking YouTube. The kids like this 30 year old fucking band that weren't even cool when they were the same age. No, okay. This isn't a dunk on YouTube podcast, but oh, I, I, I will make it a dunk on YouTube podcast. That, let's, that's a separate podcast. I don't know. I don't know what to title it, but we definitely need to make a dunk on YouTube podcast. I mean, there is for there there is a, a a friendly podcast out there that involves favorite bands and sucking that covers them very very well oh, yes better than i ever will but our good friends at yfbs but uh so please notice us senpai <laughs> but um what the fuck was i talking about before i started ranting you about you too you were talking about okay anyway i'm talking about the 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 screenplay for this movie and how the characters there's no subtlety whatsoever in the characters dialogue so there's a scene where famke jansen liam neeson and the daughter i forget the actress who plays her i'm sorry 
they're like, you know, and she's like, daddy, daddy, can I go to Paris, please? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, you're a young girl and I don't know if I should let you travel alone. And Famke Jansen's like, you really should let her, you know, you neglected her through our whole marriage and this and that. It's like the, it's the most, no one has ever spoken this way in the history of human civilization. Like no one, no two people have ever had a conversation that sounds like this. It's like an AI recreating <laughs> like human dialogue, but for some reason, I like watching it and listening to it. It's just, it's, it makes no freaking sense because in any other movie in with any other actors, it would just be an unbearable cringe fest. And like, yeah, you can, you still kind of are like, oh my God, who wrote this? But <laughs> somehow Liam Neeson like pulls it together <laughs> because he is an amazing actor and he can just work with, you just give him anything and he can he can spin straw into gold man he's just he's just got it yeah but um so like the the filmmakers who made taken either took a chance on liam neeson and it massively paid off Mm. or they knew all along that the guy had chops that he could or that and that he could carry this action franchise how many taken movies are there three fuck i've never seen any of the sequels i don't so i don't i don't know but um, they knew that this movie, like, needed him, and no one else would do. And either they're very brilliant, they're secretly just geniuses, or they were just really, really lucky. And I don't really know which it is. Like, I'm thinking about, like, Liam, Liam Neeson had made, you know, forays into action before. Like, he was in that movie Next of Kin with Patrick Swayze and Bill Paxton. Right. But, like, Taken was the big splash. Taken was a fucking huge movie. Yeah. Taken was, like, a massive fucking hit. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. And I think people were like, whoa, Liam Neeson, an action star? The fuck is this? Like, an action star on par with, like, Bruce Willis. Yeah. You know, he could... And people saw that he could he could do that. And I think that's basically, like, the career he has now he's basically like an action guy it's like a second arc for him which is and like how many actors change trajectory when they're like middle-aged very how often does that happen um i think i can only really think of a handful of examples and none of them are action star right like adam sandler is probably the only other example i can think of yeah where it's like okay you're just this you do goofy dumb comedies but now you actually do but no they were like serious roles like peppered into adam sandler's career he but now he cynically does a comedy whenever he wants to take a vacation right but like liam neeson is like unique in that his trajectory went from like he did like this 180 pivot yeah in a really crazy way into like physically demanding choreographed roles right and he's like good at it it's not like they're trying to make fetch happen and fetch can't happen with liam neeson it's like you know you could have been like okay taken was like a a one-time thing but he can't really keep doing this he can keep doing it and he 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 has and i like watch like i love I love that movie, The Grey, where it's like Liam Neeson has to fight wolf, fight off a wolf with like broken bottles taped to his hands in the middle of like fucking Alaska. Like that movie is incredible. Yeah. That is a great fucking movie. I'm like here for, I'm here for all of it. I love actiony Liam Neeson. I love this dumb movie. And I also love that like, maybe I, I, I would need actual 
people who study this type of thing to confirm this. I feel like this movie brought sex trafficking into a, a, a consciousness that it was not in before. I think it became a motif in action films after this. But like, okay, this needs to be said. Rich American women are not the primary targets for sex trafficking. It's poor women of color who it's like disadvantaged people who get forced into sex trafficking like rich americans with families who will be looking for them are not going are not the ones like being trafficked in mass <laughs> like generally if some in cases where people are abducted the abductor usually tries to figure out if the abductee like has a family or anyone who will miss them yeah and it's bef- like before you- like snatching them it's like immig- you know immigrant women who are you know we're promised a job somewhere or you know we're tra- are traveling for some reason or they get like it's rarely like sex trafficking is almost never like masked men break into your home and drag you away into a van it's like you get very subtly conned and tricked into that yeah. It's like, oh, you know, my boyfriend wants me to start doing this or something. It's like, that's not your boyfriend, that's your pimp. Yeah. It's like, so I guess the point I'm making here is that, like, sex trafficking very rarely looks the way it looks in Taken, but I do think it, in a weird way, made people more aware of sex trafficking. Yeah. And again, people, smart people, please, who actually study these types of things, like the effect that media has on, on social issues and so on, like, I would love to know if this movie actually was a positive or a negative like sometimes you can bring awareness to something but it doesn't it it sort of works against the cause of that problem like because it's almost like the jaws effect where it's like oh my god we need to be really worried about sharks it's like no that's not the point of the movie and you don't actually need to be that worried about the sharks (laughs) the sharks aren't coming to kill you you know rich white girls in, in Paris are not going to be kidnapped by teams of masked men who enter their hotel room in the middle of the day. <laughs> no, no one, there's no like cabal of shadowy sex traffickers that just go this one. Yeah. Take right. them. Take her. But like, I think it, the movie in a, in a weird way, probably intentional, unintentional. I don't know. It does get into like, Because, you know, the daughter is sold into this very, like, posh, high-end, like, where men are bidding hundreds of thousands of dollars for young women. It's like, okay, maybe somewhere in the world that does actually happen. Maybe. I don't know. But 99.999 whatever percent of sex trafficking looks like other shit we see in this movie, which is like, here's this weird, like, this weird, like, tent brothel where there's like girls on massive amounts of heroin that are just passed the fuck out and they're just you know they're just like in like on a on a bed made of you know made of blankets and ratty pillows and shit like and it's in like some weird alley somewhere it's like this really sketchy gross you know underground thing it's not like oh here's like men in business suits in a secret room in a secret building you know, bidding on, you know, again, rich, white, American young ladies to have as sex slaves. Yeah, it's as, like, it seems like if, you know, a 
rich white or, or like a rich person is going to like participate in sex trafficking they're gonna do it more through coercion or yeah like, it's like you groom the victim you you know you get to, you get to know them you use your power and connections to like get them to get close to them and you groom them and you coerce you know you do the the matt gates thing where yeah. like you just you just get them to do what you want you don't have to go to again the secret room in the secret building you don't have to send your goons to break into someone's hotel room and kidnap somebody yeah exactly so in that way this movie is not realistic obviously this movie is really fucking stupid <laughs> but it for somehow it presents all this information in like a weirdly confident and like realistic way which is kind of I don't know. It works in a, in a in a strange fashion. An, an image of the true self exists in the false self. Right. Obviously, like it's an action movie. It's not fucking a history lesson. It's not meant to be realistic. Also, there's a thing at the beginning of the movie where like Liam Neeson like is you know because he's an ex secret agent is like moonlighting as a bodyguard or whatever. And at the beginning of the movie, he's like bodyguarding this this pop star on her way into. A concert and she's getting like mobbed by crazy fans and there's a guy with a knife who attempts to harm her and Liam Neeson like intervenes and beats the guy up and shit that uh that actually just made me think of like shit that actually happened like a few years later like yeah like the thing that immediately popped in my head was uh Christina Grimmie yeah who I believe was an American Idol contestant or she was a contestant on one of the singing shows and she was at a meet and greet she was shot and killed by a crazy fan and so that actually in a again like this this is the most believable part of the movie right but it's it's so dumb but it's not dumb like the whole the crazy fan wants to hurt the famous pop star that shit actually does happen. It doesn't happen exactly like that. Like, in reality, he's not, like, hiding behind a dark corner. He probably sent her, like, mountains of creepy fan mail and was, like, attempting to, you know, enter her home in in strange fashions and so on. Like, that kind of stalkery behavior doesn't present exactly like that. But again, they showed a scenario that isn't that crazy. Yeah. <laughs> in, you know, we've got the sex trafficking where it's like, okay, sure, fine. It doesn't actually look like this, but it does happen. We've got crazy stalker who tries to hurt the pop star, you know, when she's vulnerable and being mobbed by fans. Like, that's also a thing that happens, you know, that isn't that uncommon. It happened a non-zero amount of times. And of course, Liam Neeson is like there to save the day. And he like his daughter wants to be a singer. And he, you know, the, the pop star is so grateful. She's like, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll hook her up. Like, I'll get her. My my vocal coach will train her. It's like, yes, that's totally how it works. Yeah, this this is how it happens. Uh, and like the daughter, I'm sorry, the, the daughter has like no personality. Like they didn't even try to write her to be anything other than like frightened white girl. Like she's just like. I love my father. Like, I adore him. He's so great. I want to go to Paris. Okay, what teenage kid, like, loves their parent? It's like, she loves her parents, even though her mom is mean and horrible. And her father's, like, absent, quote unquote. Like, you know, he's not around. Oh, dude, when when I was 17, I was, like, crazy on hormones and, like, could tell my entire family to fuck off. Like, exactly. So, like. The, the the fawning adoration thing just it does it doesn't scan it doesn't scan at all but 
I do love... It's like, you know, the whole movie is sort of like, you know, he will do anything to find his daughter. He loves her so much. He feels so guilty for not being there for her because he was away during doing secret agent things. And like, this is him going to rescue her from being kidnapped into sex trafficking is like his way of making up for it. Which is like, I don't know, weirdly touching. It's like, it's yep. actually kind of sweet. Yeah. Clearly he was not like a parent anywhere between like the 70s and the mid 90s because like you know you're just like oh, oh i haven't seen my child in a week they're probably fine yeah they'll, they'll come back <laughs> you know i haven't you know my kid went out this morning and it's after midnight and they're still not home yeah, they're all right i'll leave the light on it's fine yeah that child's not in any danger <laughs> magical time magical christ time. almighty yeah uh but um sorry i love that's basically all the reasons I love this movie. It is, like, immensely fun to watch. All the things that make it dumb also kind of make it great. And I can't I can't say that about many stupid movies. Like, most stupid movies, the things that make them stupid make them bad. And this movie sort of is this strange, like, anomaly where... It's dumbness is like its strength because if this movie went full went full serious and tried to be like a serious fucking movie it would have been such a slog it would have been they'd be like okay we're gonna make an actual really serious gritty movie about sex trafficking it's like okay well then how did where does the actiony part come in that would, would feel so weird you would just need to take a fucking xanax by the end of and it and it would like, feel so weird and inappropriate like to have actiony things happening like yeah Liam Neeson's gonna come beat people up and like torture them for information and stuff like okay well this is this just doesn't feel right <laughs> or if, and if it went like really goofy It'd be like, okay, this is even worse. Like, this yeah. is just so inappropriate. They're taking this subject matter so lightly. It's just serious enough to, to like, it not be offensive. But it doesn't overthink itself. No, it doesn't take itself too seriously. The plot is so simplistic. It's like, of course, these evil, hulking masses and, and you know, roving bands of Eastern European, like bad guys are like out prowling the streets of Paris like snatching up girls and it's just like oh my and Liam Neeson's gonna come and stop them and then he eventually is gonna make it to like the secret tuxedo party on a boat where they're <laughs> on like a yacht where they're bidding for all the it's like it's so ridiculous but it it's just it it maintains a balance yeah. it's the balance of like it's ridiculous but it doesn't go too far and it's kind of taking the material seriously but not too seriously Liam Neeson is like he's an action he's the action guy but he's also believable enough as the loving dad it's like everything was sort of perfectly in balance that this stupid movie actually works and that's why I love it very good that's why I love Taken very good (laughs) I shouldn't Uh. love Taken but I fucking do (laughs) so my film is (laughs) yep my film is um, a film that I grew up with. This was a film that, like, my parents had the VHS when I was a young person, and I've watched it at various points in my life, and my opinion is, like, very has drifted over the years. In 1992, director Francis Ford Coppola 
released a film called Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. And yeah. this is a film. I love it so much <laughs> because it is so close to being a good movie. <laughs> it's just it it's is, right there. It's right it, there. It gets like 90% of the way there. <laughs> and then it just can't, can't it, do it. Yeah. It's so <laughs> Coppola was a veteran director by this point. He had, you know, he had tons of credits under him. Like Jesus. The, He's Coppola for fuck's yeah. sake. He made the Godfather. He yeah. made apocalypse. Now he's a bad motherfucker. Like, yeah, so he's fucking Coppola. He has he can do whatever he wants. Yep, he has his budget is sky high. He recruits an A list team of actors, makeup designers, costume designers, and you know, and the score is top notch. He's got the best of the best. Like to run down some of the the people who worked on this thing. Our, our top build cast are Keanu Reeves, who I will get back to in great detail. I love you, Keanu. Freaking Winona Ryder. Yes. Anthony Hopkins yes. doing double duty on, you know, on various roles. Yay. Gary Oldman just chewing the fucking scenery. I love Gary Oldman so much. In this whole film. Like, the man, it's... Beyond that, you have... Tom Waits appearing as anytime he's Redfield. In, anytime he's in a movie, it's just like, I don't care what this movie's about. I just want to see Tom Waits. Like, like what's Tom Waits doing? Tom what, Waits. What's he up to? Tom Waits only does films, by my understanding, directed by like a small amount of directors. Yeah. He's like cheesy. he does films for Francis Ford Coppola, for Jim Jarmusch, Terry and, Gilliam. And for Terry Gilliam. And he's fantastic every time he chooses to act. Right. I do like watching yeah. him. And like beyond that, you have you have a lot of like Sofia Coppola was a big fan of a lot of weird fucking music. And there's some some strange like musical people that make appearances in the film. She's she, she's good with music. Yeah. If you watch her filmography, she's, you know, an amazingly talented filmmaker. She's really good with her song choices. Like, always. But she manages to get Diamond the Galas mm. to voice the um, the three uh, vampire women that assail Keanu Reeves under in the crypt under Dracula's castle. Awesome. And beyond that, this is one that I didn't know until I listened to an episode of No Dogs in Space about um, about the band in question. But Lux Interior, the singer for the Cramps does Gary Oldman's like crazy detuned scream in the beginning of the prologue when he finds out that his, you know, wife is dead and his religion's a fucking lie and he goes apeshit and kills everything. I like, yeah, so it's like they sort of wove in this really interesting kind of punk rock music into this, you know, sort of into a, a Dracula movie. And like in a tasteful, subtle way where music nerds like myself can be like, oh, oh I see what you did there. Uh. Yep. And it's. There are. The thing that gets my goat is that this is a film of moments it is a film of. Everything is right, except for the plot and the dialogue, <laughs> right? 
They have those two things are kind of important. Everything else <laughs> except the plot and the dialogue. Oh yes. And I don't see how they fucked up the plot because they had a book to pull this shit it's from. Fucking Dracula. Depressingly, it is still one of the most accurate takes on the book. Because the book is like. I haven't read Dracula, but I know it's like a really fucking weird book. It is. It was kind of written as a pulp romance novel. Like, it was not intended to be like a deep scholarly work. And like, Bram Stoker was kind of a one hit wonder. Where like, he's not really known for anything else. Right. But like, Coppola leaves in this like weird fucking plot of Mina being like the reincarnated form of you know, Dracula's, like, wife that died or whatever the fuck. And, like, it's so... You don't need it. Yeah, right? We got that useless, like, side plot. That... It is an unnecessary plot. That's a thing that I don't like in movies where it's like, you so easily could have edited this out. Yeah. Just a little bit of editing and this whole part of the movie could have gone away and nobody would have noticed. Yeah. Like, but you... The, but, the, but, you know, Coppola or whoever just, like, couldn't let it go. Yeah. Like, I need to keep this. Yeah. Do you really need to give a 500-year-old monster a justification for feeding itself? No. It's like, yeah, there's a, he's a vampire. He needs to drink the blood of humans. Yeah. So I don't need to know any more than that. Now, do you really need to not only do that, but, like, put him in a scene where he's in, like, an English upscale bar in like 19th century regalia teaching a teenage girl what absinthe is <laughs> this is the thing that happens he mansplains fucking absinthe awesome. which was distilled in another part of europe hundreds of years after this character would have been alive oh my god it's painful oh no <laughs> and there's there's so many of the of the cringiest moments come from this fucking this plot like the idea that when a vampire feeds, they don't necessarily turn a vampire, but if there's like a consensual blood exchange, yeah. then that causes the vampirism. And that's like a part of vampire lore that's been like a thing for a while, but you do sort of have to like elegantly weave it into like the van the vampire explaining like you know every vampire movie kind or maybe not every vampire movie there are vampire movies that don't explain anything about how vampires work see near dark or <laughs> like but, but like yeah you can't just you can't get too clunky with that or else it just gets like so eye-rolly yeah and it's it's just a way to retcon the issue in Stoker's original book of why did Jonathan Harker not become a vampire himself? Right, because he got bit. Yeah, which other other adaptations of the story play with, like Werner Herzog's Nosferatu ends, sorry everybody, with Harker becoming a vampire. Like, and I feel like that's kind of a, a darker, more realistic take mm -hmm. than, oh, he was just kind of anemic and found by some fucking monks and you need to, like, get over here and marry him right away. I don't <laughs> care if it's 2,000 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like that's it's it's absurd. There's like the way people like travel is insane. Like there's no such like distance is arbitrary. Oh, so it has the Game of Thrones problem. Yeah, the Game of Thrones problem. The old the, the old Westerosi teleportation device. Yeah, right. We could just like, oh man, like this distance that would have taken, you know, months to cover, like, oh I just like here I am. Ta-da. And also like reducing the role of Mina to a reincarnated Mary Sue for Dracula gets rid of all of her agency. Mm. Like in the original Nosferatu, the 1922, she is an absolute badass in that she sacrifices herself to keep the vampire busy until the sun comes up. Right. That's like the best... That's like the best part of the whole Dracula, of every adaptation of Dracula, like from Nosferatu to Werner Herzog's Dracula adaptation. It's like this woman, this awesome woman is like, you know what? Fuck y'all. I'm getting rid of the goddamn vampire. Like, I will do this. I will take care of this. (laughs) Y'all are useless. I'm going to do this. I will let him bite me and then he will be, he will perish in the sunlight. It's like. Yeah. Instead, like her whole second act exists to like, Act possessed and scream at Anthony Hopkins for no reason. Right. And like, I can see. If when, I, when I think of the 90s in terms of like women's roles in movies like this, like maybe a horror and or supernatural film, I feel like it was rare that they got to really have any any real thing stuff to do you know what i mean like that kind of every now and again you would get something really good where it's like yeah like the woman's actually doing things like she's important but other times it was like oh not so much like she they really kind of reduced women's parts in movies like Like, this the character of lucy is just a fucking mess Mm -hmm. like she's portrayed as like this kind of you know this very sexually forward woman who excels in like flirting with rich men in a weird innocuous way that like it's so weird it just doesn't make any (laughs) sense like she's portrayed as being like a sexual being but just like mindlessly flirts with men at parties and then just like is like oh i have so many people interested in me hi he 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 Fast forward about 20 minutes and she's like spitting blood in Anthony Hopkins face. Whoa. She like exists to be like ravaged by Wolf Dracula and like turned into a like terrifying vampire. Right. There's nothing else there. And like all of her scenes, all of like her outfits are beautifully shot. Her glass casket is like a beautiful cinematic motif. Like all of the, you know, all of the the staking scenes in the mausoleum with her are like very well done and like that weird ass like flowy dress she wears when she's like assaulted in the garden by like wolf dracula is like something out of a titian painting Hmm. but like this is an example of like the film hits all the visual notes but they just forgot to make this character interesting yeah they forgot to add, like, substance or, like, make this story coherent or good. Yeah, like, and I think a lot of films have that problem. I feel like, I don't want to get 
I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I feel like every movie by Boz Lerman has this problem. Yeah. He gets so caught up in the costumes and the settings and the set pieces and everything else, and he forgets to write a good story. I will say this movie is better by an order of magnitude than anything Boz Lerman has I mean, Boz ever Lerman's, done. Sorry, you know, I don't know if there's any Boz Lerman stands like listening to this. I mean, this. I, I don't use the word hack lightly, but... I fucking hate Boz Lerman. Like, <laughs> I do not like his movies at all because he makes them very pretty and the costumes look great and all of that stuff is very good. The movie itself is fucking dumb and cringy and it just sucks like he just yeah. forgot to make a good movie it's a pretty movie but god damn it boz <laughs> i mean if boz lerman opened a film with gary oldman like stabbing across and screaming gutturally and having blood spray everywhere i, I would love that that would be great that would be fine with me like th th that's the reason i'm dunking on boz lerman and i'm and i'm giving coppola a pass because like I have no doubt that he was trying really hard yeah. to make, to like make this happen. And looking back, it was like, oh, wait a minute. We put a lot more effort into the visuals and the, and that part of the movie rather than like the, the screenplay and the storytelling and the narrative. Yeah. Like they, they went really hard on like the visual aspects of the film and then forgot everything else. Right. It's like, um, that that meme that was making the rounds of like it's a drawing of a horse and like the back end of the horse is like this beautifully drawn thing and then it turns into the front end of the horse which is like a child's yeah, drawing like a of stick a horse figure. speaking of like a rudimentary impersonation of a thing mm. can we talk about keanu reeves for a bit yes <laughs> oh keanu i love you keanu reeves i am convinced is only in this movie because of his star power at the time. Oh, totally. No, he's so wrong for that part. He is utterly atrocious in the role of Jonathan Harker. Like, it's iconically one of the worst performances by an actor in a major film I have ever seen. The man cannot do any accents. No, Keanu's not good with accents. Half, half the time I expect them to start fucking air guitaring and like breaking into like you know surfer dude slang but it's just like a leftover from point break like yeah <laughs> he's just coming off that point break accent yeah I totally I totally won the surf competition at Budapest bro like, bro <laughs> yes I, like, I love point break yeah. but no like Keanu Reeves again I, I am not dunking on Keanu Reeves at all I unironically he's a fucking great actor the man cannot do accents yeah at all he's great in a role where he doesn't have to do that like or, like there's there's movies like the devil's advocate where his act his weird accent he's trying to do like a southern accent in that movie but it's not he doesn't quite commit to it and I don't is Keanu Reeves English I don't... Is he American? Googlebox. Googlebox do this fucking shit for me. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what his natural speaking voice is like, but in The Devil's Advocate, which is a movie I love, that's kind of a dumb movie that I... Maybe I should have talked about Devil's Advocate. Oh, that, man. No, I think... No, if we both did Keanu Reeves films, I feel like this just would have been a dump session on Keanu Reeves. Right. Ke Keanu Reeves is Canadian, by the way. He's Canadian. Okay, so in Devil's Advocate, he's trying to do a Southern accent, and it just doesn't quite land... 
And there's scenes in that movie where, I mean, it's a Pacino movie, so there's a lot of yelling. There's so much yelling, but it's great. Yeah, I would, I could listen. I love listening to Pacino yell. I love that freaking movie. Oh my God. But Keanu Reeves is like screaming and he's like doing it in this weird there, but not there Southern accent. And it's just bizarre. So I think that's just a phenomenon of Keanu Reeves just trying to do accents when he can't do accents. Yep. And which in this movie is just like 10 times worse. <laughs> yep. The. Let's get to some positives here. Yes. I feel like we've been merciless in our. We've sort been kind of, of mean to Dracula. We, we've been very mean. This is a movie with everything that's wrong with it. I still love it to pieces. Right. Its the, flaws kind of make it great. Visually, it's. Visually and aesthetically, it is a grim, dark, beautiful masterpiece. And I want to talk about the two people who carry this fucking movie. Gary Goddamn Oldman is mm-hmm. the first one. Gary Goddamn Oldman plays multiple roles. He plays a terrifying 500-year-old demon and a early 30s romantic lead. Love it. In the same breath. Love it. And... Equally convincingly with both, he develops an Eastern European accent and carries it throughout the whole film. Good and job, it, Gary. It doesn't sound stupid or forced. Gary, Old, Gary Oldman can do accents. He can very much do accents. I mean, like, this is... He get he dives into the role very deeply and inhabits it well, and his performance as Dracula is absolutely fucking iconic. Hell Yeah. I think about the fact that 10 years later he would be in that fucking absurd movie Tiptoes and I get and I get a little sad until I realize he's doing the same level of commitment to the role of like this strange tiny person as he is to the role of Dracula. Gary Oldman always goes all in. He doesn't ever hold back. That's what I like about Gary Oldman is that he and that guy's acted in some weird fucking movies. Yeah. But he always, he's never like half-assing anything. No. I And I appreciate that about him. Yeah. The, the second, you know, insanely strong actor in this film is Anthony Hopkins. Always. Can always count he on him. He had done Silence of the Lambs one year prior. Oh, hell yeah. He was coming off of Hannibal Lecter. Damn. Straight into Abraham Van Helsing. Nice. Oh, yeah, right. He's, uh, he's Van Helsing. I forgot. Yep. Yeah. He is not only Van Helsing, but he's the Orthodox priest who tells Gary Oldman that, like, his girlfriend is damned because she killed herself Whoa. in the very beginning. Which, that opening sequence is an unassailably perfect piece of film, and mm. I will not hear criticism otherwise. <laughs> it is brilliantly shot. It is you, It is brilliantly acted. The voiceovers work. It sets up the tone of the film. It's like it almost that it almost gives you too much hope. Yeah, you you you. Th- if the whole movie had been it's this, like, oh, good, you guys, you you can you got it right. Yeah, there. Yeah, I. There are a lot of movies where it's like, okay, this movie as a as a whole is kind of a mess, but like they got this part of the movie is yeah. perfect. Like and it's like, so good. Th- this is like it's it's watching like. 
It's like watching your honor student do inhalants behind the school building. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I know that you're 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 a good kid, but you're really fucking up here. Like, yeah. come on, like, get it together. Coppola is capable of so much, and there's like these moments of greatness in this film. Mm-hmm. Like going back to Hopkins, his exorcism of Lucy is a brilliant piece of acting on his part. He inhabits that role, and his like powerful screaming voice Mm -hmm. is iconic when he's defending Mina from like the Diamanda Galas vampire women in like the circle of fire at the end of the film like he's he's badass in every like possible way Hell in yeah. this film. Nineties Anthony Hopkins was untouchable. He hit different, you know what I mean? Like unfucking touchable. Yeah, he was an untouchable. Just yeah, he could do no wrong. Yeah, it was Anthony fucking Hopkins. So like on the strength of these actors, this film rests. And I will say, Winona Ryder really does an excellent job with this character, despite how terrible it was written. Right. A good actor can re- can kind of, you know, make something out of nothing. Yeah. In, in that sense, like, if the, even if they're giving, like, not a, a lot to work with, it's like, okay, you know you know what? She's, do- she's really doing her best. She's giving it her all. Yeah. Like, her performance is very, is extremely good. Especially given the fact that, like, Coppola was a raging piece of shit to her throughout the entire oh yeah he's not he he doesn't he he's kind of notorious for (laughs) being like tough to work with yeah he like verbally bullied her throughout like the course of this film and like she kind of did the kubrick thing where yeah he he kubricked it like a lot of great filmmakers were really shitty to their female cast members yeah this is a public service announcement (laughs) yeah like the, the circle of fire scene is ridiculous and campy, but, like, her, like, finally just losing it and, like, screaming and, like, being partially, like, possessed is fuck is fucking awesome. Nice. Like, it's a wild scene, and she carries it well. Like, she, like, she and Hopkins are kind of the stars of the latter half of the film, and, like, they're, they're excellent. Like... But this is, yeah, this film, I love it dearly, but like your, like your star athlete child who just, you know, can't help but, you know, wreck the family car. Yeah. (laughs) Coppola has these shining moments of greatness. But he kind of can't quite. Can't deliver. He can't quite keep it together. He like, yeah, he got caught smoking weed and lost his scholarship. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's just a classic. It's it is just a case of like you're so fucking close. You're so close, yeah. You're so close. And that's almost worse. Yeah. In a way, like okay, if a movie completely shits the bed from from the moment from the opening shot, it's like well, okay, well there's nothing to hope for here. This movie's yeah. gonna be terrible. Even if it's by like a like I think every filmmaker, even the most beloved, has made some crappy movies and. That's almost like, it's that's your right. Yeah. No one's perfect, for fuck's sake. Life is long, dude. The shit's gonna happen. Life is long, and not everything everyone makes is gonna be great. But the ones that are just bad all the way through hurt less than the ones that are, are have the moments of good and bad in them when you're just, yeah, you're just like, you were so close. You just had to 
tweak I, this one thing. Like, could you just I, ugh, I, I get it together? Say, like, this is overall like a rough period in Coppola's career. Like his film, the film that he did immediately before this was Godfather three. And everyone hated it. Yeah. And like he did like a sh- like kind of a crappy comedy with Robin Williams after this. Yeah. And then like didn't do anything like solid again until the Rainmaker. People think that like Francis Ford Coppola has died. He's, he's eight- very much alive. He's 82 and still crushing it. He's never stopped working. Yeah. His career has been so interesting because he like made arguably some of the greatest films of all time. Yeah. And then he sort of... He kind of fell off yeah. a bit. I th- yeah, and I think Godfather 3 was the thing that kind of k- killed it for him. Yeah, that was like a kiss of death for like that period of his career. And people were, I'm sorry, like people were unnecessarily mean to that movie. Yeah. Can that- we stop like dunking on Sophia? Like, is she the best actress in the world? No, she's a brilliant fucking filmmaker. Her performance in The Godfather 3 is fine. It's not the like, absolute like that's another movie Ugh. i think the parallels between that and dracula are very startling because they're both movies that like the tone is right the visuals are right the cast is right but it just but the felt, plot doesn't deliver yeah the plot doesn't deliver yes sofia coppola was a teenage girl who had never acted before can we please cut her some slack for <laughs> christ's sake but yeah no this is this is a film i love coppola dearly I love this film very much. It is a frustrating, complicated love. Right, but you can sort of see, you can see the, the what he was going for yeah. and how ambitious he was. Yup, he really shot for the moon. He shot for the moon. He kind of wobbled a bit. And I will take any possible context in which I can hear Tom Waits scream, the blood is the life. Yes. Yes. Anytime. If All movie, the time. If a movie has that in it, it's just automatically good. Yes. <laughs> Tom Waits eating bugs in an insane asylum <laughs> is worth the price of admission alone. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm sure all of our neighbors think I'm insane now. It's if fine. They, if they haven't otherwise figured it out. I think they know. Yes. They're aware of us. Yes. <laughs> but that's... I think this was this was a very important episode for us to get into because... Uh, I mean, we've been doing a lot of digging into kind of criticism yeah. of art over, you know, the last few months. And that's been like a recurring theme. And like a big thing that... I kind of took away was that it's important to like things. It's, oh, it's important to like whatever you like and there should not be guilt or shame about this. However, you should not like anything beyond your ability to criticize it. No. And you know, don't let some invisible panel of like, you know, taste makers and you know, other people of the like in your brain don't let that affect your enjoyment of something. It's like, well, I, t- I mean, I like this movie, but I really shouldn't because it's just a stupid vampire movie or it's just a dumb action movie. It's like, no, 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 you're allowed to like things. Yeah. You're allowed to like what you like. And it doesn't have to be an ironic love. And it's all like... You don't have to be like snarky about it. Like, yeah, this, like, you know, I, I ironically watch blah, blah, and blah. It's like, okay, nobody... 
who does that? <laughs> no. You're allowed to like something I mean, that's, for real. That's watching something ironically is a slippery slope towards actually liking the thing. No, people say I like this ironically. It's like, no, you just. No, you like it. You like it. You're just trying to, to act like you You're don't. Like you don't have skin in the game. Yeah, like, you know, behind closed doors, you actually fully enjoy that thing, whatever it is, no matter how, like, cringy or, or what have you. Yeah. And it's like. People, you should like whatever you like. Taste is to somebody, to somebody somewhere, everyone has bad taste. Oh, yeah. And who gives a shit? And film criticism is especially, like, vulnerable to this kind of thing. Because it's been, it's been, it's an, it's a quasi-academic pursuit now. Yeah. Where there's, like, a certain, like, there's un unassailable directors or films or whatever and that's i feel counterintuitive to what the nature of art should be and like don't there's like this whole you can really argue about like oh here's like the untouchable hallmarks of cinema that like no one can argue against and you're like no ar argue away like go for it and you're allowed to like like, you can like the dumb action movie or the dumb vampire movie and not like the bi insert big important film here. Yeah. That's fine. It's okay. Like, bro, bro, I don't blame anybody who, you know, doesn't like, I don't know, Citizen Kane or whatever. Indefinite podcast bros. Yeah, right. Exactly. Podcast, podcast audience bro of the world. Love whatever you love. Love whatever you love. Fucking whatever. As long as, it's, as long as it's not like racist or a movie about a movie made by Nazis or some shit. Yeah. Liv, do you have any pluggables to plug? Um, I, my artwork is at oliviahoovermahoney.com on Instagram. And, uh, my... Does it have a .com at the end? Oh, no. It's, uh, it's just at oliviahoovermahoney on Instagram. There's no .com. Ignore yeah. me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. No. Um, and my baking, I bake cakes, and my Insta handle for that is jane underscore doe, D-O-U-G-H underscore vegan. All right, and I, you can find my various weird music projects on on the internets. My uh, my my metal music project can be found on Instagram as Yawning Earth, and our record is available anywhere that streams are streamed and on Bandcamp. I also make kind of like blissed out weird, different different feeling music as Mayhaven. I've got some songs actively in development there. In the meantime. Love yourselves, love each other, be safe, watch some fucking movies. Hell yeah, peace out everybody. Peace out.